0: Shoppers and the salespeople are really worth watching, and uh, you can find that on YouTube, which uh, has been played over nine million times uh, so far. On YouTube, people with shopping bags stop to raise their hands, phones are pulled out of pockets all over the store, and purses are, are uh, open uh, to record the moment. Uh, I'm sure they got them out of their pocket and their purses, what that meant. Uh, the busy uh, work in the, in the crowded mall, uh, otherwise it all just stopped. The action stopped in its tracks by the words that uh, made everything around them seem, seem so small. And he will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The most posted comment after the replaying of this random act of culture is the presence of teary eyes and tingling spines. People said things like this. Just beautiful. One one said, "Moving beyond, it is moving beyond words." Another said, "It brought tears to my eyes." Someone else, it gave me goosebumps. Noticeably absent from all this commentary was reaction from those who always seem to find something wrong with the celebration of Christmas or with anything to do with Christianity in the public arena. Uh, One person said this, and I quote: "I am an atheist." And I approve of this random act," uh, writes one responder with a smiley face, saying, "This I'm Hindu, and I tearfully agree." Another replied, "Handel uh, and the arts and the art that still stirs imagination with gratitude were inseparably inspired by the story of a God who comes near, the good, the true, the beautiful in spirit, embodied in a person. Hallelujah." Indeed, the birth of King Jesus Christ is one of the most glorious events in all of history, in all of humanity. The cross is being the other that we think of as the second most glorious. He is the King of Kings and deserves all of our praise. With the psalmist we say, let all the earth worship and rejoice in him and praise him. And yet, we live on an earth, even though God made them and God gives them life, we live on an earth where it is true that the majority of the earth does not praise him and does not sing hallelujah to his name. This is the culture that we live in today. I don't know if they'd get away with that in uh, 20, or 2021 or 2022, uh, to go into a secular place like that and sing the hallelujah chorus. Maybe they would. I'd like to think they would, but I kind of think it would probably cause a lot more problems. Today we're in Matthew chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and I want to insert a word that's in the Greek text, but it's not here in my English text, and it says this, Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Then Herod the king, when he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he's talking about those that are Jewish, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. Now, I want you to know that as far as I know, up to this point, it's not recorded that anybody said they're looking for the Messiah. They said they're looking for the king of the Jews. So somehow Herod knows that they're looking for something more than just a king. Also, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, the Christ, where he was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this for this is what has been written by the prophet." And you can tell that uh, in your Bibles, your study Bibles, this came from Micah 5.2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. One of the things that's going to strike us is just how intelligent the scribes and the Pharisees are about what the Bible says about Messiah And how blind they are that when he's right in front of them, they don't recognize him, they don't see him, they don't bow to him, they don't don't even understand who he really is. And part of that's going to begin to uh, really open up and show itself as we get to this point in the text and move forward. In verses 1 and 2, what we have happening is that Gentiles demonstrate great spiritual faith in the work of the Lord. Gentiles. The wise men are not Jewish. They did not come from Israel. Uh, They are Gentile people who came from a far off land. We really don't know exactly where they came from. Most people think they were from Persia. Uh, That may or may not be. We don't even know how many there really were. Could have been three, could have been four, could have been ten. It doesn't say. They gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have uh, four or five people that had gold, four or five that had myrrh. We just don't know. But what does take us back is that Jesus is being born, and here at this point in the text has been born, and the angels announce it, and the shepherds announced it, and we would expect there to just be all kinds of flurry and, and uh, people moving around and doing things because the Messiah has come. None of that's happening. Well, maybe it'll get better uh, because now we have some wise men, some magi, who have come to Bethlehem, and then you have to ask yourself why did they go to why did they go to Jerusalem if the prophecy was about Bethlehem why are they going to the capital of Israel instead of going right to Bethlehem well the only answer could be is that that's where the star led them and god had it in his plan that you need to go make this announcement and talk about it in the capital city and then I'll lead you to where the child really is so apparently whatever they knew They just knew follow the star. Whatever they knew, they didn't know the details of other things that were taking place, like the child's actually not in this town, he's in another one. So this now takes place there in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It is specifically in the reign of Herod, who ruled in Israel from 37 to 4 BC. Herod was half Jew, and he was half Idumean. He was not about to relinquish his throne, no matter what he says here, no matter how he says, oh, I'd like to worship the child too. That's a lie. He doesn't want to worship the child. He wants to find the child, and he wants to kill the child. Some time has elapsed since Jesus' birth. Many scholars think it's been about two years since Jesus was born. So in all of our Christmas cards and, and the manger and things like that, it is highly unlikely that any wise men showed up while he was still in that manger the shepherds did for sure maybe some townspeople did but uh, they're out of there and they're in a in a house somewhere maybe renting it or maybe maybe joseph bought it we don't know but that's where they're at they're going to be taking a trip and they're not even aware of that yet they're going to even leave israel they're going to go down to egypt but they don't know that so god hasn't revealed everything to everybody but everything is falling into place just like god wants it to So there's been some time that has elapsed here, up to about two years at the top side. Uh, We don't know exactly how much, but more than just in the manger. It is probable that this would have taken place at least uh, two years from the the time that he was born. In verse 1, in the second part of it, it actually says, Behold, Now, one of the things I like about it when my Bible puts the word behold in there is that I found that whenever it says behold, God is saying to us, pay attention here, especially. Uh, We would use those Latin uh, words, the, the notation NB for nota bene, meaning pay close attention. When God says behold in the text, he wants you to see something specific. Almost all the time, what he wants you to see is that, look, I am doing something special here. I'm going to say something or some event's going to take place that's special. I am doing something. Behold, wake up, listen, pay attention right here. Not that we shouldn't pay attention to the rest of God's word for sure, but he says, listen to this. Behold, Magi came from the east, arriving in Jerusalem. There's this big disconnect. We have Gentiles coming in to see the Christ child. We have people in Israel that don't seem to be responding to the fact that Messiah could be in a town that's only about five miles away. Perhaps we should go do something about that. All right, it's just like in the end of days. Uh, The Bible said that there's gonna be people that come and claim to be Christ. And there's gonna be people that go out to, to meet him and see him, and it's gonna turn out that it's not really him. And Jesus warned us, you're going to hear people say, he's over here, he's over there. And he said, let me just assure you, when I come back, you will all know it. No one's going to have to tell you I'm here. And we're looking for him to come. We want him to come. And we're a little bit excited because we see things happening in our world that are just, just falling into place with what Scripture, literally taken, has said about the end times. I would not be shocked or surprised at all. In fact, I'd be very happy if we don't even make it to next Christmas and don't even make it to next next New Year's. I'd be okay if we don't even make it till Easter and God raptures us out of here. Uh, anybody else want to go? Okay, good. The bus is big enough for everybody, all right? So the Magi were like priests where they came from. They were called wise men at the time. They were not only priestly, but they were prominent professionals, well-respected, They were astronomers, not meaning that they were soothsayers by reading the stars, but they knew the heavens. They knew how they acted. They knew they knew uh, the movement of the earth and the the year and the different stars and all that stuff. They were scientists. So when a star appears that's never been there before, they're going to take notice. And it doesn't mean it has to be a star that's off in you know, close to the third heaven or something like that. It could just be up in our atmosphere somewhere. It's different. They knew it. There's something going on here. And no one exactly knows where it came from. Most think uh, that the, uh, where they came from. Most think, as I said, they were Persians. It is surmised that they must have had revealed to them either special revelation from God somehow Or some other way, they got a hold of the word of God and they read it and unbelievably, they believed it. Perhaps some ancient Jewish scholar had carried the law into their land. Now we know that Israel was in their land. We know that somebody very prominent like Daniel and also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Persia. We also know that the word of God made it to Persia too in some form, some way or another. And it's, a, it's probably a not outside the realm of possibility. I'm gonna I'm trying to get to Numbers chapter uh, 24, 17. You can look there too if you'd like to. Numbers 24, 17. So if parts of the law showed up in Persia with the Jewish people, which I can't imagine they didn't try to take some, maybe these wise men like to study other religions and things like that, but... We're reading at Numbers 24, verse 17. Now, I'm not saying this is what they read, but there's places like this that they could have read and said, you know what? We need to be looking for this to happen. It says this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the suns of Sheth. Now it's possible that these wise men read that and they were looking for that star and it, it took many, many years. There is a, a study that says that this was just a comet that they saw. The problem I have with that is that, okay, I, I see a comet. It does have a tail. They said that was a scepter, but sometimes those are only there just a few seconds and they're gone. All right. I couldn't even get my camel saddled fast enough to follow something like that. How how do I know where it is? It it wasn't, I don't think it was a, a comet at all. A star of some kind appeared in the eastern sky, miraculously. And these students of the stars recognize it. That doesn't belong there. Where'd that come from? There's something special about that. Look at the way it's not moving with the heavens as the earth rotates. And these students recognize this is a sign, and they believe the scriptures. They readied for a trip, and they headed out. The star seemed to be a signal to go to Jerusalem. See, well, why not go to the capital city of Jacob, whose name is Israel? Why not go there? And that's where the star led them, so they're going to go there. Because God has a plan, and it involves Herod, and Herod doesn't know it yet, and they don't know it yet, but it's part of God's plan. In verse 2, they came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who is king of the Jews, where's he located? They evidently did not have that revelation from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that's quoted in verse 6 here in our chapter. Otherwise, they would have known it was in Bethlehem that they should go to. Well, it's part of God's plan for them to stop in Jerusalem and to talk to the king. Obviously, since they were wise men from another country, it wouldn't have been hard for them to get in to see the king. Uh, most of the time, just to travelers, that's not going to happen, but they did. In the second part of verse 2, this means that they were motivated purely by a short text somewhere in the law of Yahweh, who was not even their God at the time, and a sign in the heavens to make a trip of probably eight to 900 miles. Now, that's a long ways to go if you don't have faith. They must have had faith. They must have believed what the scriptures said, even though it's not a Persian scripture. And it was like, we saw a star, and we're here to worship the new king. Shepherds see some angels rejoicing in heaven, and they run to see the new king. There are people later on that will be healed by Jesus Christ, and they will run away from Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders as a whole don't even recognize who he is. He's doing everything that the scripture said he would do, and still they don't believe that he is who he says he is. These are Gentiles. How do we expect the Jews to react to the news of the king? I expect Jerusalem to empty itself and everybody converge on Bethlehem to see this, and they've had time to do it. Apparently it didn't happen. Dr. Craig Keener said, and I quote, those we least expect to honor Jesus may worship him, and those we least expect to oppose him may seek, his, may seek his death. And we expect the Jewish leaders to seek Jesus to worship him, but they kill him. And we see Gentiles who really don't seem to have a good reason to come and do this, but they come. When confronted with an issue of faith, it's hard to overstate the absolute, utter failure of the Jewish religious leaders. They all know where the Messiah is to come from, and uh, they're, they're not excited about this news. In fact, the text says they're troubled, along with Herod, about the news. Do they really know? Well, another place we can go is John 7, verse 42. And in John seven forty two it says this. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? The answer is yes, that's exactly what it says. They know this. This information is in their hands. They just can't recognize the king when he's there. So you would think a whole caravan of priests would go after they heard this news and say, yeah, uh, we know it's in Bethlehem. Let's even beat the, the Magi down there. Let's get down there and see this child. Nobody goes with the Magi. That's according to God's plan. Because the Magi are going to have to escape and go another way home and leave Herod to not find out what's happening. Well, uh, Dr. Philip Comfort said, and I quote the Jewish establishment, uh, will, unite, will unite by Herod and his opposition to Messiah. They're not on the side of the Jewish Messiah. They're on the side of the Gentile king. Herod was an absolutely terrible man, capable of terrible things. The emperor said of Herod, Caesar Augustus said of Herod, and I quote, I would rather be Herod's pig than to be one of Herod's sons. And he said that because Herod had a number of his sons killed just because he didn't like them. He's not a good person. Verses 3 to 6. The Old Testament scripture clearly says that the birth of Messiah will be in Bethlehem. And I've already tried to show us. The leaders of the day knew exactly where he was supposed to come from. They, They knew exactly what the scripture said. They just don't believe it. We don't want to be the kind of people who knows what the scripture says. And then we just don't believe it. In verse 3, Herod becomes aware of the question of the foreigners that they're asking, and he gets involved. It is clear that he's not happy about the news. Now we know his heart. He's troubled in his heart. We'll talk about that in just a second here. His heart is not right. His heart is not saying, oh, a new king in the territory. Yeah, let's just let him come up and take over. The text said he was troubled. The word means to shake something up, to stir it all up. It means inward turmoil. It means frightened of something. It can mean terrified. We also learned that all Jerusalem was the same way. Now, I don't think that means every man, woman, and child, because he calls the scribes and the Pharisees and the Levites to find out the answer to their question, where is he to be born? I believe he's talking about the leadership of Israel. All those religious leaders, the high priest, the other priests, the Levites, the scribes, all the people involved in religion, they're, in, they're, they're troubled too. You know Why? because nobody wants to make waves with Herod. They want to get along with Herod, and now somebody's talking about a subversive king, and he's a Jew. And if Herod finds this out, there's going to be trouble, and uh, when, when the dust clears, we don't want to be one of those who is also wishing that he was rather Herod's pig than Herod's subject. this is the first indication that the leadership is in bed with Rome and they don't really want to rock the boat where Herod is concerned. Their allegiance is not to the word of God, but to the leader of the day, King Herod. Why would the news of the arrival of the Messiah not be a great point of rejoicing? Here's some guys that traveled hundreds of miles. They come and say, hey, We saw the star of the one who's to be born in Israel, and we have followed the star. Could you tell us where he's at? And they should have been nudging each other. Well, yeah, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. We all know that. I mean, that's common knowledge. That's what the prophets said. Why didn't somebody get excited and put together, you know, some kind of a trip to go down there? The answer has to be because they fear Herod more than they fear God. And that's another mistake we can make when Christians are told to do something that God wants them to do and God has instructed them to do and they're too afraid to do it because of the governing authorities, then we're serving men instead of God. Now, we have to make sure that when we are not doing what men say, it's really because it's something God has said to do, not something we just like. There is a day coming because of prophecy, from Herod's day where the text says when a voice will will be heard or the voice will be heard in Ramah, that's a place, then we will know just how much Herod is against the king. The voice in Ramah is Rachel weeping for her children. What children? The prophet is prophesying of the day when Herod sends his soldiers to Bethlehem And the order is you slaughter every boy under two ages, under two, two and under, I should say, which tells us that it's been a while since the child has been born. And they're going to slaughter all those kids. And Rachel, who stands for the women of Bethlehem, are going to weep. That's in prophecy as well. You see, Herod had to know something was happening. And so God sent the Magi to alert him so that prophecy could be fulfilled, no matter what we think of it. In verse 4, Herod now interjects the idea of Messiah into the conversation. He calls the Jewish religious leaders into his presence and and asks them, where is your Messiah supposed to be born? In verse 5, the religious leaders correctly identify the Old Testament passage that predicted the birthplace of the Messiah, the anointed Savior of the people of God. Notice how they handled the scripture. The prophet predicted that the birth would take place in Bethlehem of Judea. They take what the prophet said literally. They said, that's what the prophet said. They didn't take it allegorically or as a metaphor or some other figure of speech. The prophet said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. And he meant it literally. They take it literally. Uh, How can they be so in tune with what the prophet says and the people be so out of touch with Christ? Their interpretive approach is flawless. The prophet of Yahweh said it. They believed it literally and true. And a lack of faith in the news of the Magi was the lethal mistake of the religious leaders of Jerusalem. The prophet Micah said, speaking by the Holy Spirit of God, that the Messiah, the ruler of Israel, would be born in Bethlehem and that one, one, that one would shepherd the people of God. Micah predicted Jesus' birth 700 years before it happened. Now it has happened exactly as it was predicted. You can believe that what God says and what he promises will happen exactly as he said it and the way he promised it. There are two parts to Micah's prediction in the Old Testament passage. First is Jesus' birth, and then later he's also combined in there the millennium where he will shepherd his people and they will have accepted him by that point in the millennium. This is the creator of the universe, the only wise God, our savior, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who came to rescue us from our sins. And the first people on board are the Gentiles from outside of Israel. Thank God that he is concerned about Gentiles because that's what we are. A man by the name of Lay Bishop said this. And by the way, the context is this came from an article that he wrote called Christmas in Afghanistan. Jesus did not come just to provide an occasion to sing carols, drink toast, feast, or exchange gifts. But we are right to do these things, even as soldiers die and families grieve because he came. I think it's a double, uh, a double uh, reference to uh, the people in the Old Testament and all. And, well, when Jesus was born, and the fighting that's going on in Afghanistan because of his context. He goes on to say, and in his coming, he brought joy and peace, the joy that overcomes our sorrow, and the only kind of peace that ultimately matters is the peace of which the which is the end of all wars, terrible as they are is merely one token of what he will bring. It is the peace that means the long war between the heart and its maker is over. It is a peace treaty offered in Bethlehem and signed in blood on Calvary. These are the greatest events in human history, and they both came about because God loved the world so much that he decided to redeem the people of the world. Here's something we can learn. We're to learn by way of application to long for the day, brothers and sisters, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is the Lord and the King. Secondly, and I'm going to ask our guys running the sound booth to go ahead and get the screen ready. And uh, because we're going to do something here in a minute. I want to ask you, is he your king? And if he is not your king, make him king of your life today. Sometimes I'm calling for people to trust Christ as their personal savior. Sometimes I'm calling for us who are Christians to make him the master, make him the king of our life. Invite him to forgive your sins. Walk with him. And obey him now uh, I found it uh, so moving when I uh, wrote this a few months ago uh, to actually go to the YouTube video and watch what happened uh, in October of 2012 at Macy's and we're gonna play that and I'm gonna have him turn the volume up a little bit and I would like us in honor of Jesus Christ to stand while they sing this if you're able all right so let's let them get that started This is what happened that day. If you'd stand in honor of Christ... After a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Matthew adds, For the forgiveness of sins. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I'm going to ask Brad if he would bless uh, the bread, and then we're going to wait a minute. And Becky's going to lead us in some worship on the piano, and then we'll take it together. Okay, Brad? Let's get our bread ready to go here. We are those who believe Jesus is King and God and Savior. Do this in remembrance of your Savior. Justin, would you ask your, the blessing, please, on the cup? I think we would all give anything if our nation would respond to Jesus like that. They're turning against Jesus everywhere. And we're no longer welcome in many places. But we will remain faithful to Jesus and we will always honor him. Do this in remembrance of him.